Thank you. Well, we've been working our way through the book of Job the last few weeks, so if you have your Bible today, take it, if you would, and turn with me to Job chapter 42. We'll point out some things that will be interesting, so even if you have your, don't have your actual Bible with you, if you've got it on your cellular device or whatever, that might be helpful if you look up uh, Job chapter, chapter 42. We've been talking about the struggle that is real. We live in an anxiety, depression, riddled culture. And you might not be dealing with what someone, a professional might diagnose as clinical depression, but all of us go through trouble and struggles. Uh, all of us uh, have times where we go through, as been described, the dark night of the soul. We all have those times. Now, you may be here today and either you're online or you're here in the room or whatever, you're listening to my radio. And for you, everything is up and to the right. You're firing all cylinders. Uh, you are in tall clover, whatever your kind of terminology you want to you articulate that, that you're, you're just living the good life right now. Everything's coming up roses, as they say. And I would just remind us that all of us, even if we're going through a good season right now, that all of us at one time or another are going to have trouble, are going to have struggle. And that's one of the things I love about Christianity is that it's honest with the struggles in life. Scripture tells us over and over, in this world you're going to have trouble. Scripture tells us not to be surprised at the painful trial that you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. So we see in Scripture, we see in God's Word this honest appraisal of, of the real and the raw, and we see that in Job. We see this guy that, that had a lot going for him, and then he loses it all in the struggle that ensues. Job chapter 5, verse 7 is really a good summary of life. It says this, for man is born for trouble. How many would say, yeah, I feel like that's somewhat me. I was born for trouble is what it, is what it, it, it feel, feels like. And so I don't know where you are, but maybe you're here and you're in the middle of some type of suffering. And when we're in that struggle, we're in that dark night of the soul, when we're in that trouble, so to speak, one of the things that we often look for is we want relief. And so the prayer is, God, fix this, change this, help with this. And so the focus is, and what we want from God, is for him to help make the pain stop. And if, if the pain doesn't stop, the other thing that we, that we strive for and we look for is, well, in the middle of it, I, I just want to know why. I don't understand why. God, why is this happening to me? And so we search for and we come to a book like Job and there's a lot of struggle and a lot of suffering and so surely there are answers to the why questions in a book like Job. Philip Yancey a few years ago wrote a book, The Question That Never Goes Away. Why? The question that never goes away. Why? And as we look at Job and now we're going to end today and we look at Job we don't find in Job the answers to the why questions, the secret to the why question we don't find in the book of Job. We don't find in the book of Job the secret formula for how to get the get out of pain free card. We don't find that in the book of Job. We don't find in the book of Job the secret where if you, if you pray this prayer, if you do these things, if you, if you just have enough faith, and we see that, and if we just have enough faith, then the pain, then the struggle, then the whatever will go away. That's not what we find in the book of Job. Instead, what we find in the book of Job is the thing that Job teaches us 
is how we respond in the valley and in the trouble and when the struggle comes. How can we respond in those moments? How can we respond in a way that still brings honor and glory to God? How can we get past the why of the situation? As Pastor Adam helps us last week. And to focus on the who of the situation. How can we face the trials of life and still come out as people of faith and learn as Job did that in the middle of it, even though with a quest, quest, all the questions not answered, even in the middle of it, that God can be enough. That God can be enough. So let's jump in and let's find in this final chapter, discover some practical help navigating the struggles of life and to find the answers that, that God has tasked the book of Job to, to help us with. But before we jump into that, in chapter 42, some of us, maybe we're here for the first time, maybe we've kind of a little fuzzy on some of the details of what's been going on so far. Let me just summarize real quick what we've gone through up to this point. And the book of Job starts out with this kind of this cosmic meeting. It's God and Satan's there and the angels are there. And, and God's pointing out Job, his servant Job. He tells him, let me just tell you about Job, how awesome he is. He's a man of integrity, and he's blameless, and, and he, he, he does what's right. He, he lives uh, doing right things. And Satan says, well, there, there's a reason that he does that, and that's because you bless him. If he didn't have all the stuff, if you, weren't, if you weren't protecting him, he didn't have this hedge of protection around him, if you just let me loose on him a little bit, then, then I'll show you that he'll curse you if he, some of his stuff gets taken away. And so in what feels a bit like a wager, although it wasn't a wager, we see that that's what happens. And so Satan is allowed, and he takes everything from Job. He takes his livestock and his riches and even his children. And what we see in those first couple chapters is that Job continues to remain faithful. He remains faithful even when this stuff is taken away. And so God comes back and he says, see, Job remains faithful and he's blameless and he's a man of integrity. And Satan comes back and says, well, yeah, that's because you... You didn't allow me to touch his body. If, if, if his health is taken away, then you'll see that he'll curse you. And so that's what Satan does. And he takes his health away. And as, as the, the issues with Job accelerate, Job, we see in subsequent chapters, in chapter 3, we talked about that one week, how, how he just wished he'd never been born. And so they, they really see the struggle in Job's life. And then as you go on, and he has these friends that come, and they show up as he's walking through this dark night of the soul, and he's sitting in ashes, just struggling with it. He shaves his head and all this stuff going on, and these friends show up, and they, they do some really great things. And they sit with him in his pain. They enter into his pain and his suffering, and they are compassionate, and they're silent, and they're just there. They're this ministry of presence. And that's all going great until they start talking. And they start talking, and they start giving him reasons why all this has gone on. And, and Job had continued to just say, you know, it's not because I did something. I didn't do anything to deserve this. And they say, oh, no, you're wrong. And so they begin to share their philosophy of why, theology of why this was happening to him. And so for that, that's what we see for 30-some-odd chapters, 30-plus chapters, this back and forth between Job and his friends as they argue the question of the why. And Job himself begins to question. And Job begins to really show some pride. And he, he, he questions God's goodness. And he questions God's justice. And he questions even God's wisdom. And again, Pastor Adam helped us last week as, as God and, and, and Job interact with each other. And, and God asks Job a series of questions. 
in what would, could be really described as a whirlwind tour of the cosmos. He asking questions like, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, Job, since you've got it all figured out? Have you ever commanded the morning light? Where does light or darkness reside? Can you, can you bring out a constellation of stars and put them in their place? And following this virtual tour of the cosmos and all the questions he asks about the cosmos as he points things out, then he turns his attention next to the world that Job inhabits. And he asks him questions about the natural world. He asks him questions like, have you ever provided food for lions? Do you understand the feeding patterns of wild donkeys? Or the aerodynamics of, of, of eagles and how they soar and, you know, you know updrafts, all that stuff. Some of you engineers probably could explain that to us, but Job couldn't. And all these questions as God asks over and over and over, all these questions, some 65-plus questions that God asks of Job. Job has no answers to the questions. And finally, in chapter 40, he says, I've spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. In other words, I have, <laughs> I, I've talked about things I don't know anything about. I, I don't know the answers to these questions. God, I, it's, it's, a, it's above my period. I don't get it. I don't understand. I have no answers to any of your questions. I'm just going to be quiet. But there, here in this final chapter, we see Job finding his voice as he has a final conversation with God in these, this final chapter. And I think that there are some things, as we conclude here with Job, that there are some things that we need to really get as we go through this struggle, this struggle that's real. And so with Job, chapter 42, understanding the context in mind, verse 1. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So Job is acknowledging what he has come to believe about his God. That God is the ultimate authority, that God has ultimate power, that God's uh, uh, authority, it, it's, you know, there's no way that if he has a plan, that that plan, and I love the little the way the ESV translates it, that that plan will be thwarted. When's the last time you used thwarted in a sentence? It's a great word. No plan of God's will ever become thwarted. It will, it will be played out. Whatever God decides, that's what's going to happen. Uh, if you didn't get the memo, I'm a Packers fan. The Packers uh, in the offseason went into this season uh, with a plan, and their plan was that we're going to take all the wide receivers that did a good job last year as we got to the playoffs and had a pretty good season until that first game of playoffs. That's a whole other story. But anyway, all those receivers, we're just going to let them go to all these other teams, uh, going to get rid of all the good receivers, and then we're going to get people that work at grocery stores and, you know, drive cabs or wherever. We'll pick them up from wherever, and we're going to get some new wide receivers because we have the MVP quarterback, and so we'll, we can take these no-name, no-talent uh, wide receivers, and we can pair them with our wide receiver, or our, uh, our MVP quarterback, and then we'll spend all of our good draft picks on defensive players because our defense is so horrible, and we'll get better at that, and that will be a winning combination to win the Super Bowl, and that was the plan. But the plan got thwarted exactly because it is not working out like they thought it was going to work out now god on the other hand whatever he plans will happen if you go back to the very beginning there was job and job was this man who was 
blameless. He was a man of integrity. But at the same time, he faces loss and struggle in his life. And he doesn't have answers to the why questions. But even in the midst of that, he says things like, you know what, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. It's all good. And he continues to walk by faith. What he's saying is that the Lord is all-powerful and, and that all the blessings come from him and God's ultimately in charge. And we see that in those first couple chapters when his wife tells him when he loses his health, after he loses everything else and he loses his health and his wife comes to him and he says, you know what, you just need to curse God and die. Being that mouthpiece of Satan, that's what Satan wanted him to do and his wife is kind of helping here, it seems like. And Job, you remember what Job says to her in the 10th chapter of, 10th verse of chapter 2? He says back to her, well, should we receive good from God and never expect anything bad? And again, Scripture says, and it says it in both of these exchanges, when he's, when he's talking back and, and, and articulating what he's, what he's feeling in that moment, it says that, and Job doesn't sin in what he says. Job doesn't lay the blame at God's feet. But he does as he continues to struggle, and his friends are coming, and they're berating him with all of these things theologies of why these bad things were happening to him he, he just you can just see him getting beaten down and he he crosses at some point some line into doubt and to struggle and he begins to question he allows that question to turn into bitterness that turns into sin and he crosses that line and we see here in chapter 42 that we see this full circle and what started in chapter 1 and chapter 2 where, where he believes God and, and, and the, you know, the, the whole idea that, you know, we're going to have some struggle in this world and that's the way this world is, but I'm going to continue to trust and I'm not going to sin with what I say. I'm going to trust my God. And then he begins to struggle and he crosses that line into, into sin and pride and arrogance and questioning God. And, and, and now here we see in chapter 42 he's come full circle. And basically what we could say is that we see that Job remembers some buried truth. As God questions him in those 38 through chapter 40, we see him realizing, you know what, I don't know everything. That maybe I can trust my God who breathed this world into existence and keeps it. That maybe my God is enough. And so Job remembers some buried truth, and as we Think about our own lives in our struggle, in our pain, the things going on. Is there some, some truth that we once believed, and we've said it before, I don't know who said it originally, but do we doubt in the dark what we once believed in the light? And Job, as he believed in the light for so long, but then the darkness just didn't seem to, to dissipate. And so finally he begins to doubt what he once believed in the light, but now he comes back full circle and remembers the buried truth. And how about the truth that maybe we've buried, the truth like when Paul, the apostle, talks about that we can trust our God, that, 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 that with him on our side, when God is for us, who can be against us? Against us? Or the, the truth that we find in God's Word in chapter 8 of Romans where Paul again says to us that God can work things for our good, those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. And so as we struggle and we have pain, have we buried some truth? And maybe today what we need to do is be reminded to remind ourselves of the truth that we know, like we see Job does. In verse 3, 
It says, And who is this that hides God's, who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Now, I said there are some interesting things in this passage if you have your Bible. So, if this is one of those places. So, if you take your Bible or if you're looking at, on a screen, maybe you can notice it. It's somewhat small. But in verse 3, notice what's at the beginning of verse 3. And it's a little quote. It's a quote within a quote. And what's that, that it's telling us is when, when the Scripture says... In verse 3 there, who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? That's a quote. And that's a quote from something that God said to Job earlier in chapter 38. And now Job's, Job's quoting it here. And God was questioning Job. And, and the answer to that is, it was me. I was the guy. I was the guy that, that spoke about my pay grade. I was the guy that spoke about things I didn't understand. I was the guy that in pride and arrogance questioned you and, 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 and said those things and I mistrusted you. And Job is basically abandoning now that assertion that he knows better. The, the things that he had leveled, the a questioning of God's ability to rule the world, thinking that he knew better. And in short, Job reevaluates his pay grade. As you think about your life, my life, I know that for me, I have at times overstated my case and as I think about who I am is I've 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 thought things like like if I were in charge I would do it this way and what Job we see what he's saying here is God your ways are higher than my ways I didn't make the world I didn't speak this world into existence and and he kind of gets reminded of that when God says to him as he gives him this virtual tour of the cosmos did you lay the foundations of the earth where were you can you can you put the stars out have you do you command the light and the darkness and he's just reminded of his place. He's reminded, Job is, as he looks at his business card, that CEO of the universe is not printed on it. I know probably some of us have that printed on our business card, CEO of the universe, because we look at our own lives and we think, well, God, you should do this. And then we get upset when God doesn't do it the way that we think that he should because, because I know more than God, that my, my sense of right and wrong is more finely tuned than what God says or, or, or I'm going to trust my, what my culture says what's right and wrong because it's more finely tuned than what, what, and, and what I believe is more finely tuned than, than God's. And Job acknowledges, well, you know what I don't understand as he reevaluates his pay grade. And I shouldn't have cast judgment on you. As we, and I've said it before, but one of the things that we think about when we look at life, and the further that we are away from problems and situations, the easier it is to understand and think that we know the solution. So when we're far away from something, it, it becomes really easy, and it's harder when we get really close to a situation. A, a good case in point, I think, is people that live in poverty. And it's real easy for us to stand back and when we're far away from the individual and far away from the situation and we just think things like, well, you know what, if they just get a job or if they would just do, stop doing dumb things or stop spending money on dumb stuff or they still just, just uh, you know, get over that addiction, whatever it is. And we, and we from, a, from a place where we, we don't know their situation, we don't know them as a person, we, we, we haven't gotten inside their story and gotten to know them and come alongside them and, and tried to help them. 
It's real easy from far away to say that we understand. And so as we think about our universe and we think about our world, and we're far from from all of it, and we think that we know, well, God, you should do this and you should just do that. And can we trust God like Job finally gets, gets to the point where he can to say, God, you know what? I'm just going to trust that you know better than I do. That you are close to every situation. That you are close to me. That you have a plan for my life. And, you, and I can trust you in that. And I'm not going to understand everything this side of eternity. But I choose in this moment that you are enough. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to reevaluate my pay grade. I'm not in charge of the universe. You are. And I'm going to trust you. I love the next part of what we see that happens in Job. It changes him, and it's something that has the power to change us as well. Look at verse 5. I've heard of you, Job says, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Job says, you know what, I've heard about you my whole life. And he'd grown up, I'm sure, hearing about God. And he had decided, as as we see him described as a man of integrity and was blameless and did what was right. He had been taught what was right, and he he had owned that, and now he lived right. Scripture talks about how he, he cared about his family. He was a good family man. That he, he prayed for them. He talked to God about them. He offered sacrifices for them. He, he, he was concerned about their spiritual well-being. He was a good guy. All that he heard about God, he was putting into practice. But what does he say here in verse 5? I've heard, but now something's changed. I'm not merely hearing about you. Now my eyes see you. And what we could say is that that Job here reimagines his God. Here in this final chapter, reimagines his God. Suddenly, God is more to him than this thing that he's heard about. This word of mouth that now he believes because someone else told him to believe. But now he's living it. He sees God. It's a real life experience for him. A connection with God. He's just believing what other people have told him to believe about God. He's believing it for himself. He's understanding with his own eyes. And as he's witnessing the power of God, he's trusting the power of God. I think of my own life. I think of the great church, small church in Southern Illinois that I grew up in. The great children's ministry I was in. The great youth program I was in. The good pastor that I sat under for all the years of my life until I went away to college and then I went out to Oklahoma and went to school. And it was at that point that I really began to see God. It was that point that I really began to, to own my faith and, and, and lean into my faith and really for myself, not what my parents told me to believe or what someone else told me to believe, but I, but I experienced it. I saw God. Just like we see Job here. The reality is that sometimes it's in our pain that we see the purpose of that pain that results in us owning our faith, of leaning into our faith, of coming to a point where we don't just know about God, but we experience God in that dark night of the soul. And that's what we see here in Job. And we see his then response in verse 6. Therefore, I despise myself. So, so based on everything that's happened, now he says in verse 6, Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust, in dust and ashes. As a result of what's happened, as a result of me now seeing God, as a result of me being reminded and, 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 and going back to what I, what, I, what I knew at the beginning, and now I'm reminding myself as I come full circle that my God is able, that my God's purposes will not be thwarted, and that I can trust him. 
that it says that he repents. Job is acknowledging that he'd crossed the line, that he had said some things, he'd believed some things, he had pride as he realized um, just, just, you know, he's not, I'm not CEO of the universe. And I, he just comes to realize some things and he, and he understands that he needs to repent. And that's what he does. Job repents. And whereas before he'd been sitting in dust and ashes and struggling with grief, now we see him sitting in dust, as the scripture says, as he repents. He had grieved loss and sat in dust before. Now he grieves his sin as he sits in dust now. And the thing that he's repenting of, and it's important for us to get, he's not repenting of things that he had done prior to his loss. Because God had talked to him about being, he was this, he was this good guy, a man of integrity, a blameless guy. It doesn't mean he was sinless, but it, it, what it's saying is that, that what happened to him wasn't a result of some bad thing that he had done that just, that, he wasn't acknowledging. That's not what he was repenting of. What he was repenting of as he's going through it, that he crosses this line and he, he's, he's questioning God and all the, all the things that had gone on in, in his pride and in his arrogance. God, you don't, you're not able to control this universe. You're not, you know, just, you're, not, you're not meeting out justice like you should. And that's what he's repenting of. And I love what Spurgeon says about the blessing of repentance Spurgeon wrote, the door of repentance opens to the hall of joy. The door of repentance opens to the hall of joy. Have you experienced that joy as you've repented? And then there's the final thing as we go back to the text. These three friends uh, who doubted and, and we think about their counsel and, and some would debate, well, some of those things they said were good. Well, what did God say about what they said? Look at verse 7. And after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namanthite went and did what the Lord had told them and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. So if there's any doubt about what these guys said to Job, we see that God says of it that it was wrong, that it was not great advice. There were some, some things that were not bad that they said, but there were multiple things that were. I want you to notice, did you see it, what God calls Job? Do you notice he says it multiple times? The title, how does he refer to Job? My servant Job. He says it like four times in these, just these few verses, my servant Job. It just to me, as I read that, it just implies the restored relationship and acceptance that, that God gives of, of his repentance. That I'm in relationship. You need to, it's like he's, he, he's on team Job, God is. And, and you, this is the guy. And if you want help, go to Job. If you want forgiveness, go to Job. If he prays for you, you offer sacrifice. And if Job prays for you, I'm going to listen to Job. Job's the man. And then something else happens. We don't really see any indication of why. Job doesn't ask for it. Job, I don't think, is expecting it. But God, because that's what God does. God blesses Job, pours blessing on him, and by his grace restores Job 
God restores Job. And friend, it's really important. It's not because of anything that he had done. That's not the reason. This is not this, what this is teaching us, that if you are just good enough and you're just faithful enough long enough, that God's going to give you back double what you lost. That's not the message here. But he does restore Job. Look at verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's fortune, restored the fortunes of Job. When he had prayed for his friends, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So keep a finger right here, turn back to chapter 1, and if you flip back and forth, I want you to notice, does God keep his word? Does God do what he said he was going to do? Does he give him back double? Let's go back and forth. And when he came to him and his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house, and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And now we can flip back and forth. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. Now, why does it say female donkeys? I have no idea. That's always perplexed me. I don't know. Is there something special about female donkeys? I have no idea. Just what the text says. Uh, if you go back and forth, you see that literally it's twice as much. And so at the beginning, he has 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And now he has twice as much until, interestingly enough, you get to chapter 13 and what happens. And in verse 13, it says, And he also, and he had also seven sons and three daughters. Do you remember the number of sons and daughters he had at the beginning? He also, at the beginning, had seven sons and three daughters. So what's up with that? Did God not keep his word? What we see here is this little Easter egg in the Old Testament that just reminds us that Job did not lose his children. That his children, those ten children that he had at the very beginning that, 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 that died, are waiting for him with God the Father. That he would see those kids again one day. And so the 10 that he got in the later part of his life, that's double what he had at the beginning. He got those kids and he's got the other kids. And it reminds us that by the power of the resurrection, death's back has been broken by our Savior. And what a great reminder here in the Old Testament of that wonderful, wonderful truth. In verse 14, he called the name of his first daughter Jemima, and the second uh, Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk, or whatever in the ham sandwich, however you pronounce that. I really did work on that, but I, I don't know that I got it right. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years, and saw his sons, and his sons' sons, four generations, and Job died an old man and full of days. This book of Job is this wonderful picture of the reality that in all of our lives we will experience trouble and loss and disappointment and confusion and at times struggle. And sometimes we come to the book of Job and we think that it's here because he goes through those things that we go through that in this book, in this place in Scripture, that this is where we're going to find the answers to why. That we're going we're gonna to find theological reasons. And we see these reasons that Job's friends throw out. That, that pain and suffering is a direct result of things that you did. Or this idea that there's really going to be no final judgment. Everything, the good and the bad, will you experience all of that in this life. 
Or even the, the idea of the innocent suffering. That there's no such thing, Job's friends basically were saying, that the wicked perish, only the good prosper. And Job's friends and their broken theologies were wrong then, and they're still wrong today. That's not the message of Job. The message of Job, as our worship team comes back up, friends, the message of Job is not finding the answer to the why question. If God was, did not give Job the answer to why, we're going to be disappointed if we have to have the answer to why in this life. There's some things this side of eternity we are not going to get the answer to why. But in the midst of that, what we learn from Job is he learned how to get through it, how to overcome it, how to, how to, how to manage with God, understanding that God is enough. Job allows the who we see in this final chapter Job allows the who to overcome his why. Similar to what we talked about last week. That's the key message of the book of Job. To let him help us. To let him walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. To let him, as we see others model it in Scripture, let him be the one that, that helps us, that we can still, in, in, in what we're going through, not just be after the relief from the pain, not that be the object of everything that we pray, that we pray in the pain, God, help me to glorify you in this. Help me to understand how I can, with purpose, get through this with your help. Can we today pray that prayer? Can I pray that for you? That you would allow, as Job did, your who to overcome the why. I'm going to invite you to stand. And today, if you're here and you're struggling and you've been just focusing all your prayer on God, get me out of this, God, fix this, God, heal that, God, deliver me, God, make the pain stop, make the struggle cease. If that's been the only thing you've prayed, there's nothing wrong with that. But let me just pray for you, that God would help you to understand how to get through it with him. As a father in Christ's name. As we sing this final song that just reminds us that, God, you are our good, good Father. A Father that loves us, that cares for us, that has sent your Son to die, that we could have life. That, that communicated to us very, very clearly that in this broken world that we would have trouble, but that you would be with us. And God, today, we're not praying prayers that heal this, help that, fix that. Give us the get out of pain free card. But God, we pray together today as we're reminded through this song that you are our good, good father, that you, we just pray that you would walk with us. You'd help us to sense that you are with us in the valley, the shadow of death. And that God today, that you would help us to find the strength to get through it. Because Father, we choose to believe that you are with us in the pain. And God, I pray that you would just reveal yourself. Help us to, as Job did. We've heard about you, God, but now today I see you. I pray, Father, that you would help my friends today to see you in their pain and in their suffering. We pray in Jesus' name.